dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. Most of us remember the life of King David in the Old Testament, but few of us have ever studied the life of King Saul. Just as the life of King David is an example to us of great leadership, the life of King Saul can be seen as an example of what I call anti-leadership. In 1 Samuel 17 and 18, this anti-leadership is on full display. Saul not only is afraid to fight Goliath, but gets jealous of David. And his fear and jealousy have a lot to teach us about our own leadership today. I want to continue to study the life of King Saul with you because as leaders in today's world, it's easy to get bad examples and to think that they're, that bad examples are good examples. One nice thing about the Bible is that it's really clear who's the good guys and who are the bad guys uh, because it says so. Right, It says, you know, God no longer uh, chose Saul. He withdrew his spirit from Saul. He continues to bless David. David's a good guy. Saul's a bad guy. Even though the bad guys sometimes have good points to them, and the good guys sometimes have bad points to them. As we're going to see with King David, he definitely has a bad point or two, uh, to say the least. And here with King Saul, he's got many good points. He's not only a head taller than anyone else, physically striking, generous in battle, ready to wage God's battles. He has a piety to him. I mean, Samuel, the great prophet, not only anoints him as king, but, you know, the spirit of the Lord rushes upon Saul. Uh, Saul loves Samuel. He goes back to Samuel, tries to be in his presence, prophesies in his presence, etc. You know, it's not like he's all bad, but there's a bad spirit that comes uh, upon him. And he definitely opens the door to that bad spirit by various things that he does that are simply not salutary at all. And I want to look at those together with you uh, as a way of learning what we need to avoid in order to be the leaders that God wants us to be in our world today. So let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, O Holy Spirit, Father of the poor, illumine the hearts of thy faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us in the same spirit to be truly wise and ever to rejoice in his consolation. Through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. St. John, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so we already saw in the first lesson uh, the first thing about King Saul and his rise immediately by the prophet Samuel and his anointing, and then his immediate downfall as King Saul refused to put under the ban, that is, to wipe out from the earth 
all of the people and the animals that the Lord told them to. And instead, he keeps the good animals so that they can have a feast and eat the good things. And he gives God the bad animals to be sacrificed. And this was a direct contradiction to what God told them to do. And Samuel says, you've displeased the Lord greatly. Saul doesn't seem to mind too much. And so it says that God rejected Saul, turned his back on him. And then in 1 Samuel 16, Samuel goes and at the command of God, anoints David to be the king, the new king, even while Saul is still reigning. And Saul doesn't know that David is the new king. He has to discover this by seeing how God's blessing unfolds in the life of David in countless victories and in countless exploits while he himself is tortured. And little by little, he sees that in fact, he has lost what God gave him. He regrets it, etc. But that's the story of Saul we're going to be looking at. The lesson I want us to see today and look at is this incredible encounter between David and Goliath. And I want to look at it from a different vantage point. I want to see it from Saul's eyes because we can learn some amazing things by realizing and looking at what Saul was facing. So this is, of course, found in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And then we're going to look just at the beginning of 18 when we see Saul falling into jealousy because of it. 1 Samuel 17. First of all, we look at the incredible scene. The armies of God are assembled in battle against the Philistines. And they are there in the valley with the Philistines on one crest line and then a valley in between and the Israelites on the other crest line. The two armies staring themselves down staring each other down, and, and the Goliath appears, right? Now, Goliath is an amazing guy. This is verse 4. There came out of, from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. So today's measurements, that's between nine and a half and ten and a half feet. So we can make it an even ten feet tall. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. Okay, folks, that's 125 pounds of brown, bronze. He's actually wearing 125 pounds of armor. And then it goes on. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, 15 pounds, just as the tip of his spear Okay. And his shield bearer went before him. Okay, so you can understand what this is going to do. If you saw your enemy as impenetrable, as absolutely indomitable, as this guy must have appeared with a shield bearer and a shield, a javelin, you know, going across his back with a, you know, 15 pound head on it. Imagine how strong his arms would have to be to throw a javelin that weighs 25 or 30 pounds through the air. He, he must have been enormous. Right? And he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Okay, this is such a scene. And it has the desired effect, right? The word in Hebrew here that they use is very specific because it says, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. When you look at those two adjectives in Hebrew, to be dismayed 
and to be greatly afraid. You find some interesting things in their etymology. The word dismayed, for example, speaks about, it's the same word as to be shattered. So the, it's an internal effect that happens in the hearts of people who see Goliath. They're shattered. They're broken. That's another one of the, 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 the words that this is the same root for. It's, so the inside, when you feel like you, you don't have any kind of unity of heart to resist, there's no morale left. You're dissipated. It's almost like the sight of the Philistine breaks up into small pieces the resolve that's inside of these soldiers, these men who are supposed to fight. You can't fight when you're all broken up inside. You've got to be together and inside in order to mount a resistance on the outside. And then the other word that they use is greatly afraid. That's all the other translations will have it as terrified. And what that word actually means is to be prostrated downwards. So it, it, it has the same root as prostrated on the ground in front of. So inside of the, the, the warriors of Israel, and it says specifically inside of King Saul, in verse 11, that there is a fear that's it's stronger than the English word fear. It actually means that Saul was broken to pieces, shattered inside, and prostrated downwards, like bent over in, in his spirit in front of this terrible Goliath. And I think we've all felt that way. All leaders are, are I mean, and Saul's almost like probably asking himself, why in the world am I the leader at this moment? Could, wouldn't it be better if someone, I mean, like he probably feels pretty out of place. He's the general of the army of Israel. And yet he's going to spend all of his logistics, all of his food, all of his time camped out just listening to the enemy mock him and his armies. I mean, what, what a mockery the, the, the Philistine makes. He says, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Right? Like, and their answer is, well, because we want to kill you. And he's like, you're obviously not going to. Because for 40 days, at, in the morning and in the evening, I'm going to stand here and mock you. And you all aren't going to do a darn thing about it. And Saul is, is directly in line with that mocking. He's supposed to do something about it. He's the leader here. And yet he's terrified. This can happen to us all. We are called to lead incredible things, folks. You're called to do incredible things. And sometimes you can just have the wind knocked right out of you by all of the obstacles and all of the hardships that can come. You can feel terribly afraid, just like Saul, just like the armies of Israel. Maybe it's with good reason that our Lord tells us over and over again in the Gospels, do not be afraid. We have to resist against this fear because if we don't, we're going to do what Saul does. Nothing. Sometimes doing nothing is even worse than the defeat that comes from trying. Does your family matter? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a family mission infographic that will help you focus on your family. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org member and join for free today. So looking at 1 Samuel 17 with Goliath standing there shouting against the servants of Saul. Interesting that he says that you're servants of Saul. That's the vision that Goliath has. The king is there and he's completely failing because he's letting fear overwhelm him. He is shattered on the inside, it says, and he was greatly afraid. So he was at the, on the outside, he, or in the inside, he was also prostrated in fear. He's paralyzed. This can happen to us, right? But when it happens, your armies don't fight. 
And, and, and so I can understand we have to be compassionate, empathetic, etc. But at the same time, folks, if you're overwhelmed with fear at the enemy, there's also something happening and that you don't have enough faith. You don't counter fear with bravado. You conquer fear with faith. And this is exactly what's going to happen. So enter David, verse 12. He's bringing food from home to feed his three older brothers who are there in the service of Saul. Interesting again how it notes that in the Bible. You're in the service of Saul, Saul's army, etc. And when he goes there, he, said, he hears the Philistine mocking them. And he says, well, what's going on? We pick it up in verse 24. He says, all the men of Israel, when they saw Goliath, fled from him and were much afraid, prostrated again in their spirits. I'm thinking of this law from Saul Alinsky, uh, his rules for radicals. Uh, and he's not someone that I endorse. He's actually an anti-leader in our series. But he says something that's very true. He says, your enemy will only have as much power as you give him. So if you think your enemy has power, then he'll have the power that you think he has. Intimidation. And here, they're recognizing in Goliath, you know, it's almost like you can't overcome the man. As, as if you didn't believe in God. As if we didn't have God on our side. If we have God on our side, then we can overcome anything. You know, people say, oh, well, that's kind of being naive. I say, well, sometimes faith looks like naivety, everybody. But that doesn't mean that it is. In fact, faith is what makes possible what the world thinks is impossible. And we are leaders in faith, which means we don't have a choice. We have to lead our armies forward. Our people underneath us need to move towards their objective. It does no good, in other words, for the leader to stay in fear. Ah, oh, we have this, we have that. Your, your troops are going to be paralyzed. Look what happens. Now, all the men of Israel, verse 24, when they saw Goliath, they all flee from him. And we're much afraid. These are the men that are supposed to be out there waging battle. But because the leader is petrified, the followers refuse to fight. And then we can just think of the same thing in our businesses and our people underneath us, our families. I know it's scary. It's very, very scary. But you are called to counter that fear with faith. And this David does just that. And so this is an amazing lesson here because when the men of Israel said, Surely he has come to defy Israel, this Goliath, and the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and will make his father's house free in Israel. Now think about that. This is Saul, his way of motivating someone to fight is by telling that them that he will pay them. He will give them great riches. He will give them his daughter. So that's not only payment, but now he's, they're part of the royal family. They'll eat at the royal table and all of their family will be tax-free for the rest of their lives. This is quite an offer. You know, I mean, he's going to give his own daughter. He's going to say, if you can kill Goliath, you'll be my son-in-law. I mean, this is an amazing promise. And, and, the, and, and Saul must have communicated it to his people, but it wasn't enough to get anyone to try. I guess they figured it's not worth risking death. That no matter how great those riches are, it's impossible to defeat Goliath. That shows how strong that intimidating force of Goliath must have been, that no one was even, even willing to do it. There are some things that you just cannot pay people enough to do. This is the, the, the real factor here. So when death is imminent or failure is imminent, your payment doesn't mean anything. And yet look at the tactic that Saul uses. Again, why isn't Saul out there fighting Goliath? Why is it that Saul insists that someone else do the dirty job for him? 
And it's because Saul himself is afraid. And it's a sign of an anti-leader to try to have done uh, by, by out exterior means from the outside what they, can, what they can only accomplish by courage and character from the inside. And, and King Saul here demonstrates an incredible amount of fear and wimpiness, and he's trying to do the same thing. And his army is so far less than him that it won't even be motivated by what motivates him. I mean, it's amazing. Not even money can get these guys to fight. Their honor is besmirched. Their money is, is gone in vain. They are completely gripped by fear. Enter David, right? And so what happens with David, of course, David start, starts to say that he's willing to do it. But notice what line it is that David uses, how he sees things. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And that, my friend, is enough to create such a stir that his older, his older brother, Eliab, becomes angry with David, ends up insulting him, says that he's, he's a bad person. Then it goes all the way to King Saul, what David says. And you say, well, what did David say? And it looks like he doesn't say anything. He does say something. He says that these armies are the armies of God. His view upon the endeavor that's, being, that's happening here is very different from the view of Saul. Saul sees these men as his men and his are this army as his army and the men see themselves as Saul's servants well it doesn't go very far <laughs> I mean you'll you'll do a lot of things for King Saul and for yourself but you won't risk imminent death and and the dishonor of being defeated by the Philistine having your bodies left for the be beasts of the field and the birds of the air that's just not enough and, and, and yet David's got a different perspective. He's like, actually, what's happening here? This is the army of God. And this person is defying the armies of the living God. And that suddenly, that makes such, I mean, immediately Eliab, his brother, comes in and starts to put him down. And Saul hears about this. And Saul wants to hear from David himself. And what follows is a dialogue that's extremely enlightening, but it's rooted on this fundamental change of vision. Saul's anti is an anti-leader because he re, he does not see the his endeavor in the right perspective. I want you to look at the endeavor of your life in the same way. If you're a Christian, then your leadership is in a function of Christ. It's a ministry to the people that you're leading and to the world that you're serving. You are not just anybody, and you're not just someone out there trying to make profit and run a business. You're an agent of God who's doing his work in the world, right? And that agency of God requires a courage and a faith that says what I'm doing is in God's hands. If you haven't consecrated your business yet to God, placed it under the, 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 the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary, had a priest come and bless your business, man, this is the time to do it. Why wouldn't you take your time every day when you come into work and simply say, God, I'm doing this for you? Because then you're going to be looking at it from the right perspective. This is a greater deal than just someone out doing a job and making money. This is a ministry of delivering services and goods that the world needs. Why wouldn't God be on your side? Well, if God is on your side, then who can be against you? That's the perspective of David. That's the perspective that slays Goliath. And that's the perspective that you can have.
So King Saul ends up hearing David come towards him in 1 Samuel 17, saying that he's going to slay the Philistine. And of course he asks, how, you know, how can you do this? You know, so it's interesting. He takes the time as a leader to make his investigation. I would just think that his investigation is not very convincing. I think that Saul is not a disciplined person. And that lack of discipline it ends up causing him to, to his downfall, right? Because uh, here's what happens, right? David comes, and he says, look, you're only but a youth, says Saul to him. And David says, well, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and he took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. All right, so... I mean, this is just an incredible statement. I mean, David is saying that he killed lions and bears with his bare hands. That's exactly what he just said that. I don't know if you guys picked that up or not. But I mean, like, you know, Saul's like, you can't even, you know, you're nothing but a youth. You don't even impress me in your physical appearance. But David's saying, I killed lions and bears. And Saul says, oh, okay. Okay, I guess that's good enough, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, he believed him. I guess that's just fine, right? He says, but David also has confidence. And so more than a story that's, that's, uh, that's you know, believable, he actually says, the Lord delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, and he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. This is the one good thing that Saul does as a leader. He takes a chance and he sends the kid down. I guess he, you know, I'm imagining he's going to respond the same way that the Philistines responded. It's interesting, the Philistines, you know, Goliath makes a deal. If you guys defeat me, then we'll surrender to you, you know. And well, well they defeat him and nobody surrenders. They all take off running. So I imagine Saul's going to do the same thing. He's like, well, if the kid dies, we're all going to hightail it out of here and it won't be my fault, it'll be his fault. I don't know what he's thinking. It doesn't say anything about that. And you got to give it to him, at least he tries. I mean, verse 38, Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. He's all ready to go. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. So in the end, the armor doesn't fit. David takes it off, goes in there on his own. And so we all know what happens. David smites the Philistine with a stone upon the Philistine's forehead. The Philistine giant falls. From the eyes of Saul, though, something very interesting happens. He does not go in pursuit. We see this in verse 51, right? It says, when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Shiram as far as Gath and Ekron, and the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. So the battle is won. David does a great job. He does a great service. He ends up defeating Goliath. And does Saul keep his word? Does he give David riches? Does he give David his daughter? No, he doesn't keep his word. He promises all of these material goods and doesn't even keep his promise. And at the same time, he watches. It says, and this is in 1 Samuel chapter 18 now. It says he watches David go out and was successful wherever he was sent so that Saul set him over the men of war. 
And so he ends up watching David now get victory after victory. This is very important for us because who is now leading? Saul is still the king. It's still by Saul's authority that David does whatever he does. But Saul has abdicated the action of a king and delegated the action of the king to someone else who does it better. It's obviously that then the, the obvious that then people are going to sing the praises of the one who's actually doing the action. We see this in 1 Samuel 18, verses 6 to 10. It says, The women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul. And they sang, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. The saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. This is so amazing because Saul, on the, on the one hand, demonstrates a total lack of leadership in that he gives his own action that belongs to him as the first one to someone else to do. And when that first one gets the acclaim, instead of him saying, hey, that guy works for me and he is wonderful and he's wonderful in my service, he, instead of allowing the fact that he delegated to someone an accomplishment and that person did their job and he should rejoice, Saul actually becomes jealous seeing the other person as his enemy. And that jealousy becomes his downfall as the next story of, of Saul will be him trying to kill his number one worker. The best person underneath him, he tries to slay because he's jealous. My friends, if you are jealous of the people whom you employ or the people whom you lead, beware. By undoing their own goodness, you actually undermine your own authority. Saul is an amazing example here of how you break up and destroy a good thing. David, who is capable of killing tens of thousands of his enemies, ends up becoming Saul's number one enemy because Saul doesn't see how to rejoice in the people and the accomplishments that he leads because he himself has abdicated them from him. I think when you go right down to it, Saul has a major self-esteem problem. And we're going to see it later on when Samuel diagnoses the, the fault of Saul. He says, you were small in your own eyes, Saul. Meaning that you never believed you were worthy of leadership. And since you don't believe in your worthiness of leadership, you don't heal that self-esteem wound in you, you end up resorting to jealousy that will bring defeat upon Israel by defeating your number one hero instead of rejoicing and serving and truly leading from the front. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.